When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Terraform Development proudly supports the Hopi tribe and nonprofit Hopi entities to provide essential technical support in engineering, architectural, and project management services. Eddie Kalnimtua can relate to the hard work on the Hopi reservation, including the cornfield duties and traditional ceremonies that he was raised on. He values this tradition, so Terraform Development was formed to meet these needs on the Hopi reservation. Contact Terraform Development at T E R R A number four O R M. Dot com and follow them on Instagram at Terraform Development. Also sponsored by... Hey, Tom here with Hopi Relief. Hopi Relief is a nonprofit organization based down here in the Valley where we are providing much-needed supplies to the Hopi Reservation during this COVID-19 pandemic and beyond. Please visit HopiRelief.org and find out how you can get involved. Hopi Relief is also an Arizona-recognized charitable tax organization. And please visit us December 1st on Giving Tuesday. Thank you. Now listening to the Carl and J-Man Save the World podcast. I'm your host, the godfather of podcasting, J-Man. And with me is the poster boy for Disney Soaps, Carl. <laughs> the godfather. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for listening to Carl and J-Man Save the World podcast. So what is with the, the godfather thing? I am the godfather of Hopi podcasting. And uh, <laughs> if you don't know why, I am the godfather. Go check out our latest episode of Us Be These Guys on our YouTube channel. And I, I actually proved you wrong, so. And I, you actually didn't prove me wrong because, you know, <laughs> when I tell the history of Hopi podcasting, there's no Carl to be found. <laughs> <laughs> cancel culture is probably going to come after you so <laughs> no I, I think cancel culture supports me in this one <laughs> well thank you for listening and happy wednesday everybody and uh you know it's it's been a rough ride here on the hope your reservation happy wednesday to everybody uh we deemed ourselves essential employees because we're breaking the lockdown <laughs> rules to bring this episode to you all yeah and you know it, it's it's interesting because our last episode we talked about hope you small businesses and that and through our instagram we did a shout out to all the small businesses out there man there's tons of small businesses and all out the there. bootleggers that came realize, out yeah <laughs> all the bootleggers all were the bootleggers. trying to plug their names in there and like you know go go check out larry at uh in, in this uh, is jojo from bakavi you know <laughs> i sell the good stuff i got the good good <laughs> 
I don't I don't dilute that I don't, uh, I don't water vodka too much. I don't so. water it down too much. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, it was really interesting yeah. to see you know how many small businesses are out there, and you know I I think through our anchor app because we've mentioned this before that there's this little tool that measures how many unique downloads that we have, basically yeah. new listeners to the to the podcast, and that number has been pretty big for for quite a while. It's been huge. I mean the the unique listeners out there are in the in the hundreds right now and we thank you all for supporting and listening to us and I know that you want more content and you know it does take a little bit of time to do all of this stuff here and since we do do full-time jobs you know just be patient we're we're doing our best and so if you're listening to the first time, we welcome you to the podcast. And if, uh, you know, we like to welcome you all on this ride and this journey to uh, the world of uh, Hopi and indigenous uh, occurrences and happenings. Oh, yeah, exactly. So today's topic, what is today's topic? Today's topic is the Indian Market Tour. Indian Market Tour. And so, you know, I think that in a way that this episode is kind of piggyback off of the last episode, because in the last episode, we were talking about small businesses and the fact that a lot of small businesses are run by artists. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, talking about this world of art within Indian country, within Hopi country, what kind of art medians are uh, primarily Hopis involved with? I mean, there are a lot of mediums. Uh, like painting, uh, you have ha- freehand drawing, you have now digital art, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and you have carvings, you have, uh, you know, jewelry is one of the biggest ones here on the Hopi Reservation. Mm-hmm. Pottery. Pottery, of course, yes. And, uh, you know, you have basketry, you have um, you have textiles. There's a huge range of mediums here on the reservation. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, uh, I guess really a reason why we decided to, you know, kind of talk about Indian markets in general is that because, you know, as in the world of, I guess, Indian country, but primarily specifically for Hopi, that, you know, Indian markets, some of the ones that they have, some of the more famous ones that are here in the Southwest usually are a part of your yearly schedule. Oh, yeah. Whether you're an artist or not. Yeah, that is true. I mean, like the, the Hopi calendar, uh, coincides with uh, all of the markets that are that are being displayed so mm-hmm. and so the fact that you know some of those markets are during the springtime you know you kind of have you kind of know which artists aren't going to be at the dances oh yeah <laughs> depending on you know whenever the the herd museum when their big <laughs> indian market falls in march or you know if like the uh the big indian market that they have in new mexico in santa, santa fe, fe yeah kind of dictates when some of those summer dances are going to be to some degree <laughs> And and it it, it does uh, kind of take away from from people's tradition, I guess you could say, here on the on the reservation to do all of these to make money and to make ends meet with their arts and crafts. Mm-hmm, definitely, and the fact that I think that Indian country in general, you know, we're, we are we express ourselves through art, you know, not just Hopis but other tribes, you know, the other tribes too also delve in you know some of the mediums yeah some of the mediums that um that you mentioned but i think particularly especially for hopis 
very artistic community, correct? Yes, we are. I mean, there. if you talk to any Hopi out here on the reservation, I mean, they'll tell you the history of like Hopi art and they'll even show you, try to sell you some stuff as well, too. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think the fact that Hopis are such good artists is probably a reason why that Hopi in general gets a lot of attention. Oh, yeah. From, from non-Hopis, um, primarily Bahanas yep. or, you know, art collectors, people that delve into that sort of thing. Because then, you know, you mentioned some of the carvings, right? Oh, yeah. And that's probably one of the most popular mediums that, you know, people participate in out here, especially the fact that carving is uh, in a way a, a traditional form. That we use during ceremony. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the the traditional doll carving, it goes centuries back, you know, mm -hmm. to where mm -hmm. where it was uh, gifts from from the gods here. And it was it was something that it was meant to be played with and cherished for years, years on years. It was a tool of education. It was a tool of education. For, for young children, oh, primarily yeah. the little girls. Yes. And, you know, I... In, I guess, uh, educating them to the gods, like you've mentioned. Yeah. And so, but then, you know, I think that art of carving really has, in a way, evolved. Oh, yeah. Because now you look at some of the carvers and, you know, especially the ones that are, I guess you could label the best carvers. Yeah. That, you know, that the intricacies and the way that they carve now and, you know, some of uh, the designs that they carve is is. A lot different than from what those real traditional carvings look like now, right? Exactly, and it it's with that comes with like the the money that that flows in, and it's it's that that Hopi is sustaining themselves with that. So, like you know, Kwa he was actually a doll carver. Okay. So back in the 70s, 60s, 70s, I mean, he created a lot of dolls to sell, and he actually bought his first. Um, trailer with that a trailer house oh with his doll with money. the doll money oh really yeah and that supported his kids he even bought a car with it you know back in the 70s cars were like two dollars you know <laughs> <laughs> it, but you know you, you are kind of right though i think that you know money does really i guess um it it pushes the artist's in the way that they create their art. Oh yeah, because yeah. you know the more the more uh, intricate, the more polished, the finer the art piece. Essentially, the more money you can get for that art piece. Oh yeah, and yeah. so you know it really does push artists to to be on top of their game to really think beyond of just what you know what our traditional forms of creating kachina dolls or some of our traditional older forms of what jewelry looked like. Or even, you know, delving into new types of mediums that we've talked about that involve Hopi culture. Oh, yeah, exactly. And there, there are a lot of uh, traditional or there are a lot of uh, art or an, an artist that are creating new and new pieces. And with that comes with a lot of controversy and a lot of backlash to that as well, too. Because of traditional art versus traditional art, like doll carving or like... Uh, uh, like little craft making, uh, like, you know, bows and arrows, rattles. Mm -hmm. And, you know, th those are the, the traditional types of um, Hopi art. Mm -hmm. But when you, but when you actually go into like digital art or like plastering your, you know, a God on a, on a, on a bath mat, on a bath mat or like on a, uh, a blanket or pillow, then it, 
it breaks that tradition there and then it creates that controversy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that that's definitely true. But, you know, the fact that we have so many artists out here, I think that that's kind of where it drives a lot of us to these Indian markets. Oh, yeah. Because then, you know, for those that aren't familiar, and I know I think there really is kind of when you think about it, you know, you think about an Indian market. We've mentioned a few, um, one that's hosted by the Herd Museum in March, which is a very popular one. And then the other one, I think, is probably the larger one. It's called Swaya. I don't know what Swaya stands for, but it's like S-W-A-I-A. And that's held in Santa Fe, yeah. Mexico. Traditionally, I believe in August. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, August and then October, I believe, too. So, something, something, something like that something in the fall. Like yeah, it's in the fall, you know. And I, ne I never go to these art markets because I don't, I don't like people, so. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I did mention in our YouTube video that I am probably the most unartistic Hopi that you'd ever meet. So, you know, I, I don't delve in any of these um, artistic uh, mediums that you, we, we discussed. But I, I think that, you know, like with the, with the Indian markets, you think about the herd, you think about Swaya. But there are other smaller markets, right? Like there's like I, I think that there's a difference between these large Indian markets. Yeah. And then something like uh, Duvi that happens uh, <laughs> yeah. in October that coincides with the Navajo Western, Western Fair. Fair. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that, you know, some of the differences in between something like a Duvi or something like a Swaya is that, you know, the, the, the Duvis, I guess, are kind of for people like us, right? Yeah. Because you can go to a Duvi and, you know, make the salaries that you and I make or, you know, some of our, you know, I, I guess less less uh, economically up the ladder people, you know, we can go there and we can buy a $40 pair of earrings or we can go there and we can buy, you know, some of the art art pieces that are available uh, for from, sale. From local artists, uh -huh. yeah. But then when you go to a Swaya... That's when, you know, the cheapest thing on anybody's table is probably $500. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, you know, those are mainly meant for uh, people like collectors or mm -hmm, like uh, mm -hmm. people who are really interested in art like that. So, And so when you think about those swayas or those herd events, really the only thing that people like us can afford is the fry bread. <laughs> I can't even afford to walk through one of those <laughs> booths there. And, you know, there. I, I guess I guess in a way it, it really if you're an artist and, you know, if you participate in both those types of different markets, because they really are two different types of markets. Yeah. And, you know, I and we forgot to mention at the beginning that we do have a special guest. Oh, yeah. And our special guest is somebody that is on that upper tier of uh, of the art scene. And, you know, she can tell us, you know, I, I guess what the artist's mentality are in terms of, you know, which markets that they prefer to prepare for or if they choose to be involved with both markets and what the differences are in preparing for something like a Duvi or preparing for something like a Swaya. Because then, you know, that, that is something that really does come to mind because then when you go to those smaller places, you know, like the Duvies, that you really walk around. And then you understanding going to something like a Duvie that you know that I might buy something. Oh, yeah. and Because uh, I can afford whatever's being sold there. And, you know, there are artists out there that do prepare months in advance for for the you know the Indian markets the bigger Indian markets like Swaya and it, it takes them months to to create art and you don't know how hard it is to do something like that and to to have that price at a price that they're asking for it just seems like it's ridiculous but in actuality it's because of the time and the 
and the effort that it's put into all of the art that's that's being made. Definitely. And I think that, you know, as well, I, I guess coming from a perspective of, of somebody like myself. Yeah. And like I said, you know, I'm preparing to go to a doobie, understanding that, you know, I got to have some cash on me. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, some of these people don't take the card. But knowing that I can afford something. Yeah. And then when I go to a Swaya, I'm walking there kind of, uh, I, I guess, a little bit more free, understanding that I probably won't be able to afford anything here. <laughs> and then the fact that I have two younger kids, you know, I'm already telling ahead of them ahead of time, don't you dare touch anything at any of these artist booths, because if you bring something, I can't afford to pay for it. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, you know, it's, it's weird because I was at the Phoenix Indian market, you know, uh -huh. about two years ago. And I was walking through one of the booths there, and and I saw a bunch of uh, Hopis that 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 do a lot of stuff, and they're basically the you know our our village friends, and you know we're we're talking and conversating, and and um, you know they they immediately when they see like a pahana or somebody interested in their art. They forget about you. They're like, you know, <laughs> you, like, you, you don't, you don't, matter, you don't anymore. matter anymore. They're like trying to sell their pieces. They're like, bro, you're not going to buy my piece. Just shut up. I'm going to go talk to this guy over here. <laughs> well, well, I guess, you know, with that being said, I think now's a good time to bring on our... Before we do, let's go ahead and take a quick break for our first, for our sponsor here. Strong Ones. Every Strong Ones design has a story and a unique meaning. They create designs to celebrate traditions of running and uplift native cultures across the globe. They also partner with local artists on special projects in hopes to expose talent and creativity of Hopi people. Strong ones are often referred to as Ho Hongvit in the Hopi language. They can be found at hohongvit.com. That's H-O-H-O-N-G-V-I-T.com. And we're back. And so right now, we'd like to welcome our special guest, uh, well-known potter, Karen Abeda. Hey. Yes, I'm here. Karen, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We greatly appreciate that you would take some time out of your day. And, you know, like the fact that Carl said that, you know, it does take a lot of time with the type of uh, work that you do into, um, into the trade that you have with the pottery. So if you can go ahead and introduce, you, uh, introduce yourself to our guests. Okay, I just had to crack up at you, though, when you said, don't you dare touch that because... <laughs> From the years I've been doing Indian Market, my daughter is now 24 years old, and she was raised at Indian Market, and she knew those words, don't you dare touch anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Um, my name is Karen Abeda. I am um, from Tewa Village. I am half Isleta Pueblo and half Tewa. I have resided in Palaka all my life. I have three siblings. Um... I never knew I could do pottery until I lost my mother in 1984. And at that time, I was living in Lawrence, Kansas. And when she passed away, I had to come back home to take care of things because I was the eldest daughter. And at that time, my grandma, my sayah had told me, you can go ahead and go back to where you were working and I'll take care of these two. But I was like, I can't do that to you, sayah. You've taken care of all of us. I'll give up what I had in the white man's world and I'm going to come home and let's get things going out here. And I was really miserable, you know, giving up. Um, well, first of all, let me go back. Before I even became a potter, I went to school to be an 
optician. So I do have an optician's license where I'm certified to work with an eye doctor. Mm. Oh, wow. So when I was up in Lawrence, I was managing an optical shop. So that's what I left behind and moved back to the reservation. And um, I was so miserable, you know, no money coming in. Um, I now had a house. I had a 18-year-old sister and a 19-year-old brother. And um, I, I, I just couldn't leave them behind. And I had to figure out how we were going to pay for these things. So unfortunately, and I'm very happy I had her in my, I've had her from the time we were in elementary school, was my friend Fawn Navasi. And she's the one that told me, you know what, Karen, you should come to my house and I'll teach you about potting. She said, you've been around it all your life. And when you were growing up, you were around your sayas. So um, I went down there and, of course, Fawn was this big, big, um, popular, famous artist and the wife of James Nampeo, who And she would mold these huge pots. I would sit there and watch her and she kind of, you know, went through the process of coiling the pots how you do the coil method and um one thing i she told me and i never forget and that's what i start out my day with is a prayer because she always says don't forget to thank the clay Hmm. and um from there you know um i started and it was a lot of trial and error you know pots that i made that would just burst because i didn't catch an air pocket and um once I got going, though, my grandma, my saya, she she was still alive then, and she was, like, in her 90s, but she watched me, you know, become this potter, and one day she told me, you know, if you could come up here to the mesa, I want to give you something. So I was all excited, so I drove up there, and she handed me her painting stone and the rocks that were her mother's, wow. and I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, this is generation to generation hand downs, and I'm the next one in charge. And to be honest with you guys, I, I, I take care of my painting stone. So, you know, and I, like I said, I did a lot of trial and error. And another thing she gave me was this big bucket of paint that was already, she had already made. And in the, when it comes springtime, you've got to get out there and look for, um, Oh, what do the Hopis call it? We call it, uh, we, and it's the mustard seed plant. I don't know the word for it in Hopi. Um, Do you know what it is, Carl? Uh, ishe. It's uh, that's, that's a mustard seed plant. Ishe. Yeah, with the yellow flower. Yeah. And you have to watch for it in the spring, I was told. And with my grandma giving me all that paint, you guys, to be honest, I've never had to make paint. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So, and, so like, uh, Karen... Um, with when you first started uh, creating pottery, uh, did you you learn from like the best, and you learn from uh, just watching? And so, like, do you do you know or do you uh, understand like uh, from behind the traditional pottery versus Hopi traditional pottery? Yeah, it's really noticeable. You can tell. Oh, okay. You know, and that was another thing Fawn had really installed in me, instilled in my mind was. Don't take any shortcuts. There's no shortcuts to Hopi pottery. You know, the only tools you have to make your pottery are your two hands and a piece of gourd. That's it. That's we don't use a we don't use a wheel. 
I myself have never seen a wheel in my life. Oh, wow. That, that's some, <laughs> um, that's other- some great teeth. That's, that's a great, great story. Yeah. And I know because uh, because I watched uh, Ghost. Remember? <laughs> <laughs> with Patrick Swayze. I, I think that's how Carl <laughs> that's, tried to, to that's make pottery. Basically. You know how we are. We <laughs> ladies are from the res. We'd be all pissed off that our other significant other, like, get the hell away from me. I'm doing something. <laughs> Don't the, even stand behind me. That That's my that's <laughs> that, my understanding of how pottery is really made. So I, I was going to say that's probably how some pottery gets broken. <laughs> you know, I, I think that... I think that you know what no, you're I'm, what you're saying. I, I think is uh, is something that a lot of people like myself don't take into consideration, like how much care that it takes into creating something. Especially you know you mentioned heavily that the tools, making sure that you're taking care of your tools and the different types of items. And I really think that that's probably why I'm not an artist myself, is because I really don't have the patience. <laughs> you don't have the tools. That's why <laughs> you don't know what tools to use. So so like. Well, so, In reality, though, all Hopi people are artists because we all do something pertaining to art, whether or not it's in school or in traditional ways preparing for things. You know, we all have to have that patience to do things. That is so true. I always yeah. say that all Hopi people are artists. So, so th- Jane, th- thank you for that, Karen. J-Man so, must not be Hopi. So, so, he... so Carl can shut up now and, you know, <laughs> tell the rest famous wife out there, hey, I am artistic. You did marry an artistic guy. But uh, Karen, can you uh, talk a little bit about, because I, I think that in the introduction, we kind of talked heavily about, you know, Indian markets and, you know, we kind of mentioned uh-huh. too. But in your experience, uh, what are some of those uh, in Indian markets that you normally participate at? Um, I participate, I've been a part, I've been a participant of Indian market for 26 years now. Oh, wow. Wow. And okay. Herd Museum is probably 24. Um, Santa Fe Indian market is huge. And I was cracking up at you guys because, um, Shwaya stands for Southwest Association of Indian Art. And that's why you're the expert, Karen, and <laughs> we're, we're just two guys that talk out of our asses most of the time. So, so, so to tell me, like, how long does it take for you to prepare for one of these shows here? Well, actually, let me go back. For someone to get into Santa Fe Indian Market is really hard because you go through a, a screening process. Mm-hmm. Really? Uh-huh. And um, I was kind of hesitant the first, and, and I didn't look at myself as being good enough to go to Indian market. Yeah. But I had submitted my application and, um, I'm, and really crazy, you know, you kind of sit there waiting. I wonder if I got accepted. I wonder if I got accepted and myself, not even knowing how to prepare for this big show. I got that call and they said, Karen, you know what? We're going to bring you in as an upcoming new artist. Oh, wow. mm. So I'm like, Oh my God, the first year I tried, I got in. So, I had no clue on what Indian market was. So I just kind of took advice from people that went like Rondina Huma, who won the big prize several years back. And she was telling me, you know what? You need to get to your booth. Make sure you take your own table and chairs. Um, Get to your booth by five o'clock. She said, if you have something that you won in the show, there's going to be people standing at your booth and sometimes they're there all night oh, wow. waiting really? to get wow. that piece. And I was like, oh my God, I can't even imagine that. The first year I went, it was kind of like I was lost. 
Yeah. You know, because like you guys mentioned, all these big, big, big named artists. And there I am, this little girl from Tewa Village trying to compete with them. Mm-hmm. And um, the first year, I don't even think I won anything. I was just happy to sell my pots. And, and, and the other thing you got to take into consideration when it comes time for Santa Fe Indian Market, um, everything in Santa Fe triples in price. Oh, really? Wow. No kidding. So wow. you're kidding. thinking about food. Even Motel Six will be in the hundred dollar range. Ooh, so so for a night. So then it it ends up costing you a lot just to attend those markets, huh, Karen? Yeah, well, in your mind, I often tell myself, okay, Karen, it's going to cost you about a thousand dollars to spend yourself your weekend in Santa Fe. So once you make a thousand dollars from whatever you sell, after that becomes your profit. Wow! Wow! I didn't even consider that. Yeah, exactly. And so you know, um, taking into that, taking in consideration, I know that uh, Swaya has been canceled last year, and this I don't know about this year. I don't, it's virtual. It's virtual. virtual. And so, like, you know, taking into consideration, uh, I wonder if my finger paintings are going to double in, <laughs> double in price if I go through the screening process. So I'm, I'm very, very hopeful. And I'm, I, I know that, uh, you know, I can I can pull through this. I think that we all mm-hmm. know that Soul is the only buyer in that market, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> she loves my art. And I, I, I guess kind of um, piggybacking off of Carl's comment, Karen, um, the fact that, you know, COVID has shut down a lot of things. And I think that a lot of artists do primarily depend on these big Indian markets for their annual income. Um, can you describe what that's been like? And I, I guess either from your experience or maybe other artists that you know what what the impact of COVID has been on on your uh, wallets? It has pretty much devastated all the Native artists because you look at, I myself, I only attend two shows in the United States. One is the Herd Museum and one is the um, Santa Fe Indian Market. Mm. And with COVID coming around, that took away about 60% of my annual income. Oh wow! Oh wow! Yeah, wow. that that does. Yeah, that does. Uh, very. Uh, it is devastating, and I know that a lot of artists out there are actually um, frustrated with that. With that as well, too, and going through the same thing as as what you're going through. It it's really hard, but you know, I try not to think about it. You know, because like I said, from the time I wake up, tips that I learned from my grandma, she always told me, "Don't paint in dark." Don't paint when it gets dark. You use that natural sunlight. So I'm I'm up at four o'clock and I'm already getting ready to sit down to my painting stone by from the time I can see the light coming wow. right over the mesa because I don't want to waste sunlight. Oh wow! So and I'll sit there and paint all day. Oh wow! And I'm really fortunate that my husband um, he works all day and comes home and when he knows I'm getting ready for Santa Fe Indian Market or the Herd Museum. He'll tell me, go ahead and keep working, Karen. I'll go ahead and fix supper. I'll do breakfast. And I'm like, woo, oh, wow. this is the way it should be done. <laughs> so he's always there, you know, to help me out. Um, I put him through hell when it's time preparing to pack, you know, because we've got to take tables and chairs. And there he is handling boxes of pottery going. And, and you know, it's just like, and I don't pack for myself because I leave everything behind. 
Mm-hmm. I let him do it. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so uh, Karen, we, we did this episode at the beginning of the season kind of asking this question, um, are Native men romantic? And so, you know, I would say that, you know, your husband is, is showing uh, romance by helping you out in the way that he has. Oh, I have myself a wonderful husband. We've been married for 31 years. <laughs> awesome. Beautiful. That's, so, how, that's how old I, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Carl is I not that him, old. I met him. I was um, a big softball player and I met him playing softball and um, we have a lot in common. We both work in the wildland fire world, which is um, my other part of my job. So right now what's happening is I'm trying to get my pots done for herd museum. And I've got a list of people that have been waiting for pots and um, I'm trying to get all this done before fire season starts because last year, I do work on an incident management team, so we're and it's the big type one team, so we're gone all, all the time in the summer. And last summer, I did not get to touch oh, my wow. pottery. I started one in April, and I just finished it last month because fire season ran from March, and I was still out in November in um, Colorado. No kidding. So, so that's a huge balancing act. Yeah, exactly. And. Uh, so who who was you know like there there are different artists that sell to different countries like Japan, yeah, Russia. Yeah, yeah. And so like does your pottery travel internationally? Uh, yeah, internationally? You know, I'm not really sure of that. Um when you guys were talking about collectors and people, you know, I um I do have some major collectors that will come by my booth. Yeah. And um like in Santa Fe, that always cracks me up, man, because Daryl and I get there early and we have our little parking space and we get our coffee and we kind of go through the day on what we're going to do there in Santa Fe. And and then I look at the booth and there's people standing there and he's like, check it out. Somebody's at your booth. I'm like, no way. Only the big artists do that. <laughs> and And sure enough, you know, I didn't go last year because of COVID, but the year before, Indian market started at seven o'clock. You yeah. guys, I sold all my pots by seven thirty. Oh, really? Wow! Wow! Because I had won the Helen Naha Award. It's a memorial award, and it is for the best of Hopi pot. And I personally, I do not care about best of category or best of show or best of division. I always sought out winning the Helen Naha Memorial oh, Award. Oh, that's that. awesome! Oh, okay, that's and awesome. And I've won it twice. Congratulations yeah. on that. Yeah. And um And I've also gotten the um Santa Fe the Indian Market Fellowship, you know, and, and I always doubt myself. I don't know why, but um I've gotta quit doing that. <laughs> yeah, all those awards should, you know, put some um encouragement and, and positivity into your mind. But um Karen, can you I, I guess kind of describe, you know, because we talked a little bit about it and you kind of mentioned it to kind of the buyers, who the buyers are of some of these uh, big art pieces, especially at some a place like Swaya, because I think for people out here, I think that, you know, for a lot of us, you know, the fact that we are um socioeconomically disadvantaged. And so the thought of, you know, buying a a pottery or you know some type of art piece for thousands of dollars is just way outside the scope (laughs) of our thinking so can you describe what these buyers are how deep the pockets are because i'm i'm ready to sell uh my house for a pottery (laughs) um a lot of the buyers are 
people that are curators in museums, uh-huh. um, people that have been collecting Indian art for decades. Wow. Um, dang, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm trying to look back and pull out some people who are, um, I'll give you a story about a collector. It was about maybe four years ago. It was about 11 o'clock. No, no, no. I take that back. It was almost three o'clock in the afternoon. And I had, um, for some reason, I ended up with a lot of pots at Indian Market. And I was sitting there and this, this um, oriental lady that I know, she's coming. She goes, did um, Gregory come yet? And I go, no. She goes, well, it's three o'clock. And he said he was going to be here. And I go, no, he didn't show up. And then I could hear him, you know, Indian market, you look up, there's just thousands and thousands of people going by. Mm-hmm. You lose, you lose track. Mm-hmm. And um, I could hear him, Karen, hey, hey, it's Gregory, I'm here. And I go, hey, Gregory, what's up? And he goes, wrap them all up for me. Oh. And I'm like, what? <laughs> he goes, wrap up all your pottery for me. I want to buy them. And I'm like, no way, you're crazy. And he goes, I'm serious. And his wife, Angie, she's like, Karen. He waited until three o'clock. He gave the people from seven to three to buy your work. He gave them a chance today. Wow. Mm, that's and, so crazy. And I know. And I was like, oh, my God. And there's my husband. You know, he knows the whole thing. He's already getting the bubble wrap ready and the saran <laughs> wrap and everything. And we're wrapping up these pots. And I'm standing there totaling up and I'm like, oh my God, do I really tell him what the total is? <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is an outrageous number. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I told him what it was and he writes me out this check. And these people are like, wait, we were going to buy that. He goes, well, I gave you till three o'clock. To buy her <laughs> that, that, that's so crazy. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I, I think the fact that, you know, be, oh, because, you know, like we said at the beginning that, you know, all of us out here, we do know some artists, some artists that participate at places like Swai and Herd. And, you know, some of the stories that I've heard, I know that some of the artists pull around $20,000 at some of these markets. Yeah. And, you know, that's the equivalent to almost a full year salary for a lot of people out here. Um, And so, you know, for somebody like me, you know, it just blows my mind that, you know, a person, an artist could make that much at some of these Indian markets and, you know, to the links that they go to, because I do have a friend who told me one time that when he travels to these big Indian markets, that when they get their hotel rooms, that he gets a separate room away from his family that way in that separate room is when he does finishing touches on some of the art pieces that you know if he wasn't able to complete things by the time that they they um are are ready to show their art artwork i mean yeah it is actually up to the last minute that artists are trying to make ends meet and make the make that money there and with that with that whole uh money part there uh, Karen, do you do you feel that you're exploiting the Hopi culture, Hopi or Tewa culture through your pottery by just selling it at like such a ridiculous price? This is Carl's favorite question, Karen. <laughs> um, no, I don't. Because I look at, you know, I, I, I started by at the bottom rung of the ladder uh-huh. because I didn't have a stepping stone. You know, you've got families that were numpeos that they can sign their name with Nampeyo and hey, they come from a potter's family and I didn't have that. So I started by from the bottom 
And, and it's funny you should say that because my husband and I get a big kick out of that because I had a big pot and we sold it, I think, at Indian Market the first year for like $450. Uh-huh. And, um, and I think my first year at Indian Market, I made like 4000 in the Saturday and Sunday. Oh, wow. And I was so proud of myself, like, oh, my God, I've never made this kind of money. And then um, when I came back from Indian Market and seeing all that and the amount of money, you guys are right. Um, my friend who did win the best of show, I believe she sold her piece for almost 50 grand. Wow. Wow. I wonder how much my and finger painting will get. And then on top of that, her regular, her um, award money. That that's so that's so crazy. And and um, so so Karen, I, I know you touched on it a little bit, but can you kind of tell us? I guess um, because I guess in my mind, I think that all artists are perfectionists to a degree because you know you have so much pride in the work that you do, um, especially if you're going to sell at like an Indian market. Understanding that some of these buyers really do look for that real quality of work, mm-hmm. can you talk to to that degree a little bit about how much time and effort you put into a piece to ensure that it's as as uh, perfect as possible because then you know sometimes um, being around artists you see something that they create and you think that oh wow that's so cool that's such a beautiful piece but then yet they're unhappy with it for some reason and then you know it a lot of it is detail that only they can see yeah because you know they're so immersed in in that type of uh, thing so can you talk to that to some to a degree I think a lot of it is pride in your work um, once you find out where you actually stand in the art world, I think I do know where I stand in the art world. You can't go backwards. You have to put out that quality art. And for myself, you know, um, I get so pissed off at myself because I'll be standing on my pot and I'll be saying, man, it really feels heavy, you know, and you don't sell your pots by the, by the pound either. Mm-hmm. So I'll be trying to stand off and I'll be damned if I go right through it and there's a hole and you just go on to the next one. Because I want my pottery to be a certain weight and a certain thinness on it and where there's no, I just want it perfect in my mind. So, and so like uh, with, with, with that whole, whole idea of perfection and everything like that, um, is that the reason why you became uh, this huge artist now that you're being recognized for? I think I became a good potter because I was put in a position that I never thought I would be in, taking care of my siblings and knowing that our parents were no longer around. Ah, Okay, so it has to deal with the family side uh, of everything, mm-hmm. and I think that most artists they they feel that it if if they need to take care of their families or take care of their loved ones, then yes, art art has uh, become a medium for money making here on the reservation and with your story. Yeah. With your story, you know, it, it it does take that. It it does take into consideration that yes, uh, you know, Hopis do need funds and do need money to survive on the outside world. And yes, we do have a certain skill that we can display for the world to see. And, and so, you know, I, I appreciate artists that, that do that for, for a good reason. Mm-hmm. And, and you know how we were talking about, like, you know, I, I attend two shows. A lot of my pots don't even leave the res. Really? Um, I, I do a lot of them for people at home, you know, for like their picky bowls. Oh, wow. Um, I do go in with the basket dancers at Palaka. So, of course, I'm going to make me a nice big one to dance so my nephews have some nice pots. <laughs> 
and, and, you know, and it's just something that, um, and then like if my, you know, relatives are having, going to throw at a different village, you know, clan wise, my nieces or somebody, I'll make them the pots to throw. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and you know, oh, and ahead, even, Karen. even like your, your wife, Wendy, we had a conversation and she was asking me and I'm like, you know, she goes, I'll go ahead and start saving. I said, you know what, Wendy, you're my family. You and I are, I, I just see so much in her. Like we, we do so much that is similar. So I was telling her, you know what? I consider you my family. Wow. Wow. It's just, I, I'm not going to charge you. I well, said, because I know what you're going to get ready for. And I can't do that to you. I thank you. Thank yeah, you so much yeah, for I, that, Karen. I charge my family like up the yin yang. So <laughs> he charges his family. <laughs> I charge double. my, I charge my soul. So that, 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 and the only thing. The only thing I don't really want to make and I don't like to make, but I will once in a while are the pipes. Oh, because I, see. I do know they are important mm-hmm. uh-huh. and you just can't sit down and say, today I'm molding pipes, you know, give me a, a ball of clay. Mm-hmm. Because I myself come from the Katina Parrot clan and those are my woodyas and I know we use the pipes for a lot of that stuff. And, um, it's just that I know how important they are, and it's nothing to make just for fun. Definitely. And, oh, yeah. Um, um, Karen, we're, we're running out of time, but uh, if I could ask another question uh, before before we do run out of time. You did mention, you did make a comment about saying that, you know, you, you know what your place is amongst the other artists, and, you know, that's something that we didn't really get a chance to talk too much in depth, but the, the art community, I guess, um, can you talk about, um, you know, what that's like being a part of that community, what some of the camaraderies are and are there, um, are there like defenses in place for artists in terms of things like plagiarism? Because I think that that's a big thing amongst artists is that they really want to protect the integrity of their work, of their originality. Uh, so if you could talk to, to that, to, to an extent. Well, you know, I I look at people that um, start doing pottery, and if they do something similar to what I do, um, at at the beginning it used to bother me a lot. Like, oh my God, you know, there they go copying me. But from the McGee brothers and Keens, they were a big influence in me getting going because they 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 knew I could do it, and they're the ones that convinced me to keep doing it. And actually, Bruce McGee, who works at Heard Museum now, he's the one that told me, Karen, he goes, don't take it offensive if somebody wants to copy some of your work. He says, because they admire what you're doing and you take it as a compliment. And the other thing is, it'll never be an original Karen Abeda. That Mm. is their work and your work is your own Mm. style. That's a good perspective to have. Yeah. So, um, And I don't ever compare myself to anybody. Because we, we, um, we're not, we're not the same, you know, we do all do things different. I don't know. I I look at my work as it has to come from the heart and you have to put your heart and mind into it. Perfect. Perfect. Before I love my work with a passion to tell you guys the truth. I love what I do. Perfect. And, uh, before we go, uh, do you have any last words uh, to say to our listeners out there who are trying to become artists like yourself? And uh, do you have any, you know, uh, advice to them? Yeah. Um, just do the best that you can. Um, jump out of the box. You know, you can get out of that box and create. 
um, don't ever tell yourself you can't, like I used to tell myself. That is not part of my vocabulary anymore, or I won't. Um, anything is possible if you put your heart and mind to things and set them goals. And once you accomplish that goal, set another one that seems um, untouchable. Because, like I said, anything is possible with hard work, dedication, and the love for what you do. You can get yourself there, too. Well, thank you again. Thank you for joining uh, Carl and J-Man here and, uh, you know, just talking about your side of the, the how, how Indian, Indian markets are and how, how, how hard it is for artists out there to, to create art like that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Thank you, Karen, so much for joining us today. And, you know, we like to thank all our listeners for tuning in for this episode. And so, you know, like we've been saying before, if you're not following us on social media, you can find us on Facebook at Carl and J-Man. You can find us on Instagram at Carl and J-Man underscore podcast. And you can find us on Twitter at Carl and J-Man. Oh, yeah. And if you want to donate to us, go to anchor.fm slash cjpodcast85 to become a monthly sponsor and to keep our podcast alive. Or if you want to just donate uh, a single dollar, go to buymeacoffee.com slash cjpodcast and donate from there. And we greatly thank every single one of you, our 30-pack contributors that have been giving to us monthly, all of you that have been uh, giving, uh, buying us coffee, because I can honestly say that not a single cent of that money that's been donated has gone to either my or your pocket. Oh, exactly. But it's definitely gone into help building the podcast, to help building us be these guys and to help us expand. So thank you, everyone that's contributed to us in that way. Thank you to our sponsors. And we do have uh, T-shirts that will be available T-shirts will be available soon. If you follow us on Instagram, you've seen those two different designs that we got. We got the Soos Boy shirts over there that are going to be on sale. And then the classic J-Man mm-hmm, mm-hmm shirts going on sale pretty soon. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again for listening to Carl and J-Man's Save the World podcast. My name is Carl and this is my best friend, J-Man. So long. Good quest.